Welcome to the e-commerce field podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure-plus store owners build incredible businesses and remarkable lives. I'm your host, Andrew Darian, and welcome to 2019. Kind of crazy. It's here. I was thinking about it today and started the, the podcast back in 2013. It's been, we're pushing six years here. Man, kind of wild. So hope you had a wonderful wonderful holiday season and Christmas season. Most people listening are, are running stores and it's it's kind of go time. It's kind of craziness. After the shipping deadlines passed, you got a little bit of time to chill out, enjoy the family, enjoy some some downtime. So excited to be, yeah, pushing full tilt into 2019 here. And also, you know, looking forward to ECF Live here in about three, two, three weeks. It's going to be really fun. We got, you know, 180 community members descending on New Orleans for a four-day event. And yeah, a couple of teasers. We're keeping a lot of the schedule under wrap, but we've got some cool activities planned. There will be tanks involved at some point, a lot of adventures in the French Quarter. Get some fun stuff planned. It'll be a good time. So anyway, if you're coming to that, really looking forward to seeing you. And for today's episode, I can't think of a better one to kick off a new year than, than this one with Alex Cranmer from... International Military Antiques, and he has such a cool story. You know, he's one of those guys that applied for our community, and just right out of the gates, I was like, man, this guy is fascinating. Let's get him to the very front of the wait list. Of course, he's an e-commerce entrepreneur, but he's, you know, he's someone who's been, who's acted in a ton of TVs, TV shows and movies. He's, I think, the gun expert for for Pawn Stars, which is a, a very popular TV show you've likely heard of. And he runs a business like I mentioned, that, that sells a lot of one-of-a-kind items. And I thought that'd be an interesting model to explore. So many of us are looking for things, models that scale, business models that that ramp up and don't require don't require you to, you know, continually be working on them and iterating on them. But there's a there's a certain beauty to that model in today's age of of Amazon and people ripping off your your scalable products. And, and I mean we we talk about a lot of things. One thing that stood out to me is the unbelievable performance he gets from his email list. He has an email list of 100,000 plus people and the click-through rates and the engagement rates and the open rates are going to blow your mind. We'll get into that in the discussion, but they're just, they're the best I have ever seen. And that's not even to mention the size of his list, which usually cuts down on performance. So anyway, we talk about how he's able to do that, how he's able to put together a newsletter that performs so extraordinarily well, as well as some of the challenges of his business model, selling a lot of, you know, true one-of-a-kind items. So fascinating guy. I hope you enjoy it. I really enjoyed this discussion with him. And this week, I'm getting ready to wrap up my 2019 State of the Merchant data collection. So if you haven't been involved in this study yet, if you haven't submitted your answers, let me know how you're doing with your store. Please consider doing that. Uh, not only are you contributing to, to proprietary research, not only do you get access to the report when it goes live, but you also have a shot at winning a free international plane ticket anywhere in the world or $1,500. Someone wrote into me and said, hey man, I got three kids. I can't be jetting off to, you know, to Thailand right now. Can you hook me up? And so if you, you know, if that doesn't work for you, then you get $15 cash. But yeah, please be involved with this. It takes just a few minutes if you own a six, seven, or eight-figure store. And the way you can fill that out is go to ecommercefuel.com forward slash 2019, the number 2019. If you're at a computer, even if you're at a phone right now, just give yourself an email. I, I you know, I rarely ask for a whole lot of stuff on the podcast. You know, I'm not on here begging for reviews. Try to try to spare you from that too much. But if you if you listen a lot, I'd really appreciate your involvement if you're a store owner in this in this this study. Again, that's e-commerce fuel forward slash 2019. And really excited to put this together as I do every year. 
And two big thank yous before we dive in with Alex. First to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. And if you haven't seen it yet, they released a new documentary series called Beyond Black Friday. That's that's pretty cool. Kind of blending email marketing and you know the video format to webisodes. Not done very often, but they've done a really cool job with it. Interviewing, going deep with some e-commerce brands to figure out how they use email, what their strategies are, and how they wrap it into you know into the core part of growing their business beyond just the holiday season. So make sure you check that out. It's at ecommercefuel.com forward slash beyond if you want to get get a taste of that. It's really cool stuff. Highly recommended. And then secondly, a big thank you to Liquid Web, who offers the best place to host your WooCommerce store online. If you're using Woo, if you're thinking about using Woo, you need to check these guys out. This is where I host all of my infrastructure. Their web hosting is phenomenal just to begin with. Our directories for e-commerce fuel are hosted there. The e-commerce fuel blog, my WooCommerce store, a small one that I have I run, all hosted there. And they offer the best of both worlds, the flexibility of being able to have an open source cart, open source cart like WooCommerce without all the headaches of having to deal with scalability and you know upgrades and all that stuff on your own. So check them out if you're on WooCommerce or that's something you're thinking about doing at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. All right. Thanks for sticking with me. I know I had a lot of announcements there at the beginning, but let's get into it with Alex. It's a really fun discussion. I hope you enjoy it. Alex, so your business goes all the way back to your father and, and actually when he was in his 20s. Is, is that right? That's right. In the sort of early 60s, um, my dad, who grew up in England, um, he, his father, so my grandfather, passed away somewhat suddenly when my father was 19. And he had come from a very wealthy family. Upon his father's death, they realized that business had been very bad. And my grandfather had been hiding from his wife and my father that they were essentially bankrupt. He died. And the only thing that the family attorney could save from the debtors was a collection of about 200 antique guns and swords. And that was my father's only inheritance. And my father uh, went to work at a cake factory. The, the equivalent would be like a hostess cakes or drakes today in the United States. And he was a salesman and his territory was Gibraltar. So you can imagine it was not a lucrative territory. And <laughs> he was so miserable that he decided I've had it because he was living in a one bedroom apartment with his elderly mother. And I'm going to sell all this stuff and I'm going to get a two bedroom apartment. So he went to sell all this stuff at a show in Germany and he came back after the weekend and he went to the family attorney who had been a bit of his mentor and he said, you know what? I made more in cash than I do in a year and I doubled the size of my inventory. And the attorney said, right, you're going into business. Wow. That's, that's really cool. That's a great story. Is this, do you have this on the about us page for your, for the business for IMA? I, I think it... <laughs> I think it is somewhat mentioned uh, on that, at least the beginnings. It's neat because my dad is self-made. I mean, this is this industry, exactly what we're doing. I guess it's been around military or collectibles for a while, but the way in which my father's approached it and did from the beginning is, is quite unique. Yeah, and there's a great Inc. article that that I came across when when prepping for this, and, and it really dives into to your history and the roots. I'll link up to it in the show notes if anyone wants to read it. It's a fabulous read. But if you could too, maybe before we we move on to more of the business stuff, there's one other story about how your there's a warehouse in Kathmandu in Nepal that that led to your father making millions and millions of dollars. Can you can you kind of just talk about that story for a minute? 
Sure. So shortly after my father began his business in the mid-60s, he was on the streets of London and he ran into a boarding school friend, really an, a, an acquaintance, nobody he liked very much, but they decided to go get a drink. <laughs> in typical English fashion, they smiled and pretended they liked one another and they had a quick drink. Well, this guy, his family were antique importers. And this kid had been to Kathmandu, Nepal. And as part of his sourcing of antique furniture was shown a old palace that had some old antique furniture pieces in it. But really what it had in it for the most part was about 50,000 antique firearms. And by antique, I mean the legal term of antique is anything made before the year of 1898 or earlier. So these firearms went back to the 1770s, to the time of the American Revolution, all the way up through the 19th century, American Civil War, that, that type of era. But they were all British, and they had gotten there because the British had colonized India. And they needed a friend in the north because of the somewhat of the threat from China. And Nepal became their friend in the north, and the British basically gave them military supply, but they British were giving them archaic weapons. They were, you know, in the in the 1900s, they were giving them guns from the 1850s. And the Nepalese, they didn't go to war with anybody. They didn't have anything to do. So they paraded around with them, and eventually they stuck them in an old palace in the heart of Kathmandu. My father heard this story, and he started writing letters. And he wrote letters, maybe one every six months for about a decade, and didn't hear much back. In the early 2000s, the Nepalese army decided that they were going to auction all this material. And my father <laughs> flew to Nepal, got an agent, got, a, got an interview with the, the army, and they said, well, you know, it's very nice to meet you, but this is going to be an open bid. And so my father put his bid in. And he got word that it wasn't going to be high enough. So he, 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 he bid very high, about three and a half million dollars. It's all on public record in Nepal. And they accepted his bid. And a little bit later, he met with the general and the general said, and my father said to the general, you know, I'm so happy you accepted my bid, but there are other people. And I have a feeling that I have a competitor in the United States. And what they do is they wait for me to win bids they figure out through bribes what I bid, and then they're going to bid 20% more. And I've lost so many deals this way. And the army general said, it, it's okay, we're, we're going to keep your bid. And my father said, that's very nice. He goes, but you don't know why. I said, well, why? And he walks over to a file cabinet, opens it up, and he pulls out about 20 letters that my father had written. <laughs> that's amazing. They still had them. They still them. had them. Yep. That's cool. Did he have the three and a half million dollars to bid or how did he, how was he able to find No, this? So, you know, I think like any, <laughs> in a way we're sort of a, you know, the beginning of what this startup is now. All of my family, you know, my, every family home I ever grew up in was fully mortgaged, usually twice. He got bank loans and then he got a partner from India who used to, still does actually make a lot of our replica swords and edged weapons. And so, this family, the Winless family, backed the deal 50% and allowed us to, to be able to 
bring the three and a half million dollars and all the import fees and charges because it, the, I mean, this material wound up being 55,000 antique firearms, 180 bronze cannons, about 30,000 edged weapons, and a whole lot of other stuff. So in total, it was 31 40-foot ocean containers coming from Nepal, which had to be tra- trucked through the Himalayas and down to the ports in India, to the ports in the United States. So it was a massive undertaking. Anyone right now who is listening who is thinking they're having major cash flow issues or logistical nightmares, they should refer back to your story here in the uh, in the future if they, if they need some encouragement. There were some lean years for sure, but ultimately, all told, because my father lived in Nepal at that point, I went over, I, I, I was a year away from starting at the company. This was 2003. I joined in 2004. I went over when I was in grad school just to check it out. But all told, the deal basically cost $5 million. And now we're about 15 years out. And I think we've seen about 30 million back. And we we still have a lot of it left. That's amazing. So you mean 30 million back just in terms of that purchase of 5 million? Yeah, in revenue. Okay. Wow. So at least a 6x, not bad. Not bad at all. So, So, I mean, you guys sell a whole... I mean, I was looking on your site. You sell everything from rocket launchers, which are, which are pretty cool, to replicas, to original original artifacts from 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 military eras all over the board. And how much of what you sell is replicas versus versus originals? Like, how much of the stuff do you really have to go out in Indiana Jones, source it, find it, bring it across? Which, of course, is, is much more work, but it's much more defensible versus things that you guys create as replicas, which I would imagine it probably is a much more scalable version of the business. So one of the things that's important to differentiate between us and maybe some other companies is you can come to our website and it looks like we are selling working firearms and working explosives and things like that. We've very, very consciously never been in the firearms business. So anything for sale on our website is legal anywhere in the United States and legal almost everywhere in the world. What we do is we sell antique firearms. That means anything made before 1898. So you're looking at like a brown best musket that's muzzle loading from the American Revolution or a Civil War Colt pistol that is black powder or we sell non-working machine guns. So we would take a World War II machine gun, like an American Tommy gun, and we go to the ATF, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and we say, look, we've figured out a way to make this, to engineer this so it can never fire again. And they actually give us a letter saying, yes, what you have there is is officially called a non-gun. We agree it can never fire again. If In order to fire it, you'd have to do in crazy engineering and basically build a new gun. So that that's something that's really important because on first glance, people could go, what? These guys are selling like illegal stuff and it's actually so legal. We're almost doing, and we're not almost, we're definitely doing a common good. We are taking machine guns and explosive devices out of the market, deactivating them legally and then selling them for collectors, antique firearms and deactivated firearms and explosive things like that. We cannot sell on Amazon. So what we wind up selling on Amazon are things like leather goods, like a sling from World War One. Now, why would you want a sling from World War One? Well, if you have a World War One rifle, um, the sling, the leather component that you would use to carry over your shoulder, chances are if it's an original one from World War One, over 100 years, that leather's dried out. And if you put it on your shoulder, the gun's going to fall off and you're going to break it. So you'd buy one of our really high-end replicas, which are affordable and that we sell thousands of a year, that creates the ability to save your sling, but also save your rifle. Textiles and leather goods are 
a lot of our reproductions. Also, some metal goods like helmets and bayonets. So, for instance, we may make a replica U.S. helmet because the originals cost $500, the replicas cost $70. So somebody who might be new to the market or a reenactor, historical reenactor who doesn't want to spend $500 on a helmet, but can have one that looks identical and they don't have to worry about, you know, breaking or decreasing its value, they can buy for $70. Can you talk a little bit about the newsletter? Can you talk about what you include in there? What kind of open rates you get? How much of your business is driven by your newsletter? Because it sounds like it's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty important part of the business. Yeah, we live and die with our email newsletter. Every week on Saturday morning at 6am, it goes out to 100,000 subscribers. We feature at a minimum 60 one of a kind items. So every week we are processing 60 items meaning that's full write-up descriptions, that's at least 10 images. Many of our items have over 100 images. And we feature 60 on the newsletter, then we also feature some discounts, usually about six or eight items on discount. Our open rates are ridiculous. I I think we're at a 38% open rate. Click-through rates are around 20%. We will do about... 25% of our revenue on a Saturday, usually for the week, because of those newsletters. So people devour them. And again, you know, there have been times where I wind up building the newsletters. I have a lot of help in, in constructing them, but I wind up finalizing them and sending them. There are days when, you know, I'll be out late with my wife or something in the city and I come back and I go, you know what, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll just get up. I'll get up at five and I'll do it. And I just don't. And I get up at 6.15. I go, I got to do it. You know, it takes a half an hour. And we'll get 30 emails and Facebook posts like, where's the newsletter? What's wrong? Is the newsletter coming? (laughs) Because guys have like, you know, wake up with their morning coffee and instead of opening the paper, they're opening our, our newsletter. That's amazing. I'd love to dive into that more. I wasn't planning on it, but that's that's fascinating. I mean, 20% click-through rates is just phenomenal. Why did you guys, why did you pick Saturday morning? Is there any, did you test that? Did you just kind of figure that, what's the logic behind doing Saturdays? Because it sounds like that's a pretty staple of when you send it. Yeah, we happened into it. It usually, basically, we landed on Saturday mornings because it was best for our workflow. We've sort of engineered ourselves as a company to spend all week making the newsletters and making getting the 60 items on site and then Mondays we know is our big shipping day. It also leads as far as fulfillment is concerned when you ship something on a Monday you're going to get it that week. So it's a nice feeling to be able to order it on Saturday and know it's coming at least in the United States within a week. Now interestingly when we look at our analytics the best time for us traditionally on site is 8 p.m. So, and that makes sense because many people are not looking at our site during work hours, you know, they're working. And our average customer is definitely male, over 40 years old, makes over $100,000 a year. So typically these guys have a lot of responsibility during the day. So 8 p.m. makes total sense. So what we've decided to do is on Wednesday nights, we send another newsletter, but this one is completely AI. It is automated product recommendations based on their buying history, their browse history, their add to cart history, like products with like, a ton of different, it's a pretty deep algorithm. And those don't do, don't do as well as Saturdays, but they do a lot better than we, than we thought they would. 
the AI, I want to jump over to the AI newsletter really quickly. You do on Wednesday. So you get the Saturday one that you guys manually put together, the AI newsletter. And you're on Shopify Plus, as we were talking about before we started recording here. What do you use to put that newsletter together? That's that's fascinating. Is that a custom-built tool that you guys have developed? Is it a service that you use? We've been using ListTrack for about five years. And I found ListTrack at a Magento Imagine conference because I used to be a devoted Magento enterprise user. And we've just had great success with ListTrack, really good ROI. They, in addition to you know, being an ESP, they have a very robust product recommendation engine that we use both on-site and in email. And it factors in far more than a traditional product recommendation engine, which usually has to do with like collections, you know, maybe a little bit of browse history, but we're actually targeting, we're cooking, we're cooking the user as they come into our site. We are matching that with a buyer profile. We're seeing what they've added to cart. We're seeing what they've bought. We're seeing where they've browsed. And we're also doing comparing that customer database with the things that they're interested, what other customers are interested in. So the product recommendation engine is is super important to us, not just in the email, but also on site. And what's nice about the list track integration is when I build my emails, I'm not, you know, back in the day when I was doing on Magento, I was typically before ListTrack introduced this product recommendation engine, I was actually like cutting, you know, thumbnails together or, you know, smaller images of products and pushing them into newsletters. Now I just have to write the SKU and they automatically populate. So it saved me what used to take me six, seven hours to make a newsletter now takes about 30 minutes. Wow. So jumping back to the newsletter, the Saturday morning one that you guys manually put together that has such insane open rates and click-through rates. I mean, 20% click-through rates. It's, it's, it's just, outrageous. I, I've never even heard of that. That's insane. So, so you do 60 new items every week. And so are these brand new items that you're bringing in, either new replicas you're introducing or new SKUs, maybe original products that you have, have found? So 60 brand new items every week that you list? Yeah, 60 what we call one-of-a-kind items. So very rarely will we feature a replica. We do once in a while, but usually they're just one-of-a-kind items, something that we have one of that we may find another one of someday. But when you go to the site and you look at it, you buy it. I should also maybe talk a little bit about the structure of our inventory. So we have these one-of-a-kind items. Then we also have what we would call our original surplus items. So we would list, for instance, one of the antique guns that we got out of Nepal, for instance, a British Martini Henry rifle. Now, this was the first rifle issued to the British infantry sort of in mass, like mass produced rifle that was made at Enfield in the gun factory in England. Now, these all date from the 1870s. Now, we have thousands of these. So instead of selling them one at a time, we take representative photos of them and post them on the site, but we have lots of inventory in them. So we offer buyers the chance to, to upgrade their selection by offering something called hand select. And that's basically a service fee. So they can do it. We actually use it like a variation on Shopify Plus. So you get hand select no, that's the standard price. And you look at the photos and you read the description and you should understand the parameters of what you'll get. And we guarantee you'll get something in those parameters. If not, send it back. We pay for everything. 
Or you get so Alex, yep. Alex, hate to interrupt, but just to clarify, so you've got you know a pile of let's say two hundred rifles. They all are tiny cosmetic variations, but more or less people can buy one and you grab one and throw it in the and ship it to them. But with the hand select, do you is it something along the lines of we'll make sure that the barrel is totally pristine with no scratches. We'll make sure there's no fraying on the uh, the strap for it. Is that the kind of is that the upgrade with the hand select? That's the idea. We will do the very best. We will pick you the very best of what's available at the time. Gaia. Gaia. And so when you say unique items for that newsletter, is it, so if you have 200, if you have 200 of those rifles, would you maybe pick one of the best ones and put it in that newsletter? Are these really, truly, you know, original, we found one, you know, maybe a military compass from the French army, and that's the only one we have in stock. And that's one of that's the 60. That's one of the 60. That's what brings people back because they know that it, if they don't buy it, then it's not going to be back. And we have like a, about a 70% sell-through rate on those newsletters within three days. So if we put 60 out, very, very rarely do we have 40 left on Monday. So it's it's easy to look at those and say, you know, what's the hack that, that Alex and his team are doing to get such phenomenal results? But the hack is you guys put in an insane amount of work to find 60 unique military <laughs> items every week and shoot them out there. How do you guys do that? The sourcing is has become, we didn't do these newsletters until about six, seven years ago. And the company has really invo- evolved. So in addition to one-of-a-kind items, then we have surplus original items, and then we have new-made replicas. My dad's vision of this company, and, and back in mail order, you couldn't really do a one-of-a-kind item. You couldn't, you know, it would take up too much time to describe it and print and things like that. So, but with the internet, all of a sudden we could do, hey, we have one of these and it's $1,000. Hey, we have the same model of this, but it's in bad condition and it's, you know, missing a part. So it's $700. Hey, we have a mint one. It's $2,000. So the business, that, that is really where the evolution of this business for us has gone, much more to the higher end collectible one of a kind thing because, and it is, I mean, make no mistakes, it's an insane amount of work for us to get this done. And, I've, and I've, we used to be doing 40, only about two months ago that I up it to 60 and I really want to get it to 80. So I'm, you know, I'm hiring people, I'm buying better photography equipment, I'm you know, constantly trying to figure out how can we do it faster, how can we get this, get more on site every day, because the more we get on, the more we sell. But back to your question, the, the sourcing of it has developed over time. One of the best things is in our relaunch on Shopify Plus, we did a full redesign. And I made sure to include a We Buy Military Collectibles page, a, a We Buy Military Collectibles banner on every product page. Because what happens is if you are the grandson that inherited your father's fighting knife from World War II, and you see that it says Mark II K-Bar, and you go, you know what? I have no use for this. I'm just, I'm going to sell it on eBay, but I, I don't even know how much this thing's worth. What do I ask? Oh, I'll just Google U.S. World War II Mark II K-Bar. Well, guess who comes up first? Us. One, we built our site, right? Two, we are the largest in the world by this, by, by, by leaps and bounds. And we've sold hundreds of them. So you are going to hit one of our links and see a product that's sold. And I do that on purpose. I do not take down products we've sold. I leave them up so our SEO keeps getting deeper and deeper and broader and broader because I want people to find us. And what happens is 
We have a little link that says ask a question on the PDP on the product display page. And they click it and say, I have one. My grandfather left it to us. Do you want to buy it? And we, we are buying three items a day with that. And, and it's, it's a lot like cash for gold, you know, that, I, I don't know, that was on the East Coast, but, you know, <laughs> that's how I view it. So we, we, we pay for your shipping. We, basically, we, we arrange a, a deal. We say, okay, we'll give you $100 for the knife and we'll send you a prepaid shipping label. And people love that because the last thing you want to do is stand in line at the post office. So we send them a prepaid shipping label. All they have to do is box it up. We get it. We inspect it. Make sure we didn't get a box of bricks, which has happened. That's why we don't prepay. And we say, hey, it looks exactly like it is in the photos. You're good. And then we pay you. And then we can listen on the site. So we do that. Over the last couple of years, I've met guys who are pickers. And I've got pickers sort of in different locations of the United States and and abroad. And these guys collect stuff for us and we'll pull up in a U-Haul to our warehouse and I'll sit on the loading dock and we'll go through it. And one guy who I was buying a lot of, a lot from, recently I basically have hired him and he is now my kind of lead picker and he's got the knowledge and he knows how to negotiate. And this is a guy who's in the same business and he went, you know, I'm really good at finding stuff. I'm really good at negotiating. I like my freedom. I absolutely hate doing a website. I hate having to hire people to ship stuff. Like that's not what I'm good at. You guys at IMA have figured it out. You don't have time to get away from your desk because I rarely can. And I'm going to do this. So it actually has worked out really well. And it's been a very good supply in, in a way my challenge now is he and is that we are getting so much stuff that now my cash is going to inventory and so that has increased the need to get more product on site per week yes so you've got that you mentioned those two channels one people coming to you to sell to, you know sell you their their stuff through the clever way you've, you've put your seo and kind of solicited those on the site You've got people, it sounds like contractors or employees that kind of go, you know, they, they just find stuff and they they buy it, bring it to you and, and you buy it. So those two ways, how how much of your inventory and sourcing is from, like the story we, we talked about at the top where your father was in Kathmandu and bought an entire just, you know, armory of guns. How much of your stuff is, do you guys have to be on the ball about, you know, massive estate sales or government sales or, or having your, you know, kind of finger on the pulse of what's going on with governments or major collectors and huge sales. Is that a, a big part of your sourcing or a smaller part? Traditionally, it was the primary part. My father really built the business in the 80s and 90s, getting contracts through governments. He did deals with Egypt. He did deals in South America. He did deals with the former Soviet bloc, the sort of Eastern Europe bloc that opened up. A lot of that stuff has dried up because we, although we will do some Vietnam era stuff, the vast majority, I mean, 99% of what we sell is World War II and earlier. And the reason for that, as my dad likes to say, is that World War II was sort of the last romantic war. And what he means is that there was a true evil and there was a good and good one. And so that is why you see these, you know, World War II is such a fertile ground for, for creative filmmakers. And even look at, you know, and we've supplied Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, like any major World War II movie you've seen in the last 20 years, they have gotten stuff from us. 
Um, one of the other ones, the Amazon series, Man in the High Castle, we supplied a lot of stuff to them. The reason, not just the reason, I mean, there's fantastic writing and acting on that series, but the setting is fascinating. It's the greater German Reich is half the United States. The other half is is Japanese. Like, what if they had won? And so there's this sense of good and evil, and that's what I think draws people to World War II collecting a lot, and in, in, in we owe a lot to the lore and the the filmmaking that has been made in that uh, you know around that genre. Vietnam, though, when you look at Vietnam, Vietnam's sticky. It wasn't a popular war. It, pr- it probably wasn't the right war, you know, for us to be in at the time for the wrong reasons. And so you do get some Vietnam collectors. We do have some pretty cool stuff that comes out of Vietnam. But the films about Vietnam are not films that you go, God, I want to see that one again, <laughs> traditionally. Yeah, it makes sense. No, I was listening to some veterans tell stories from Vietnam and, and definitely a lot more, at least from their perspective, you know, ambiguity different opinions going in, coming out, those kind of things. I can see what you're saying with World War II kind of being the last of a the last of a, a certain type of war, at least for for modern history. I want to touch back again just before we move on on the email. One one thing I couldn't help but think of, you have got probably a more compelling email than anyone I've ever talked to in terms of a newsletter. I think a lot of people struggle to make their newsletter something that's interesting and unique and really compelling as opposed to just, hey, come buy our stuff. We have another discount, or another promo, or here's a product that you probably don't like, but we're going to try to you know juice our email list. I, I'm guilty of this as well. It's hard to write great, valuable emails. And you guys seem to do that week in and week out with what you're offering because it's genuinely unique. And so given that the interest level, I would imagine, is very high there, you know, one thing that I hear a lot about, I, I have seen, I've heard from other people is, is, you know, email is getting, it's still probably the most effective channel, I would say for most merchants, but it's getting more crowded. Our, all of our inboxes are getting more cluttered with stuff. More and more people are leveraging email. So as someone who genuinely has something interesting, have you seen over the last two-ish years, three-ish years, the effectiveness of email go down because of that? Or in your opinion, if you've got something really valuable that people want, it's still pretty easy to get in front of them as long as it's it's you know something compelling. So have you have you seen it get harder to compete on the email side with your with your newsletter? No, our subscriber rates continue to grow. I would say our engagement rates about the same, but as long as we're adding subscribers, we're doing well. Revenue wise, it's up. Now revenue is up across. <laughs> the platform, or I say the platform, like we're up, for instance, 23% this year over last year. I think there's a lot of factors in that, one of them being our transition in, from Magento to Shopify Plus, but also the, a full redesign of the site because we got an, a second you know, bite of the apple. So for us, email has continued to dominate, but we are experimenting and we have started doing some other modes of communication, notably text messaging. We are now starting to do push notifications. I'm going to start doing some Facebook messaging because we are getting, and like any other merchant right now, if you have any social channel open and people know you're there, that's how they're going to talk to you. So if they're going to talk to us through there, we should be able to speak to them back and deliver on message. So when you say push notifications, do you mean browser push notifications or text messages? Oh, I mean browser push notifications. Browser, okay. Talk to me a little bit about text. That's interesting. I don't think many people are using that. And I think the people that do 
text to me is such a personal medium. Like even, even if I get, unless it's someone who I'm really close with, if I get somebody reach out to me for a, for a, something business related via text message, it almost rubs me, you know, it, I bristle a little bit because I really like keeping my, you know, my business world on email and, you know, in the forums and some other places. And then uh, text is a very personal medium for me. So I'd love to hear your experience with that. If that's worked well for you, if you guys, uh, you know, have had any backlash with people getting upset, how's text gone? It, text has actually gone really well. I agree with you. I personally, I don't want companies texting me. However, it's an opt-in type of thing, and we Shopify really started it. It's Shopify's fault, I think, because they they added it. Yeah, they added it to checkout. So all of a sudden, you're getting notifications about your order status anyway. And what we're doing is we're right now only using it with abandoned cart, but it's doing well. It's doing very well. And what happens is the, the, the ingenious thing about it, my favorite part, and, and this is an app that everyone should check out, it's called Retention Rocket. And my favorite thing about it is that they have linked it to our Slack channel, one of our Slack channels internally. So the texts come in and myself or one of my three people in customer service can just use the Slack channel to communicate. So it's really simple for us. And off hours, it hits my Slack app and I can just respond. And people really like that. So if they have a question and say, oh, yeah, I was interested in this product, but I don't know, your shipping's too high or I don't, you know, do do you really ship this here? And you can be like, oh, yeah, no problem. We do. And hey, I understand shipping's high. Here's a $10 coupon. You know, they love that. Because it's immediate and you can't believe that somebody at some company that is selling what we sell would actually take three seconds out of their day on a Saturday at 6 p.m. to answer you. But if I have it, I, you know, if it's in my phone and I have a second, I will answer. So, so it will, so it will go through if they abandon their cart instead of using email, it'll have their phone number. It will text them, "Hey, we saw you abandon this. Is there any reason?" They reply to that via text. That links up to your your Slack, which either if you're at your desktop, it works, or it goes to your phone, and you can reply. Is that, am I thinking about that right? Exactly. Okay, interesting. So, you guys have you guys modified your checkout then so that you've got that phone number field uh, at the very top to hopefully capture that as soon as possible. I think it's I think it's step two when you do your address. Okay. It, it's it's in there. It, it's whatever whenever Shopify has it because you know the, the messing with the Shopify checkout, do it at your own peril. <laughs> so <laughs> for real, it's the one part you just don't mess with if you don't have to. So it's wherever it wherever Shopify says you know check this for SMS. We we just added a term like for offers and service or something, and I think the default one is check this for service or for order status. So we just put offers in as well. Alex, so how do you how do you guys negotiate? You know, one thing you're dealing with a lot of products that are you know definitely don't have liquid markets or, or if they you know. I'm sure if you're in the market and you you know your your industry and field, you probably have a rough idea. But I'm guessing, just given the nature of what you sell, there can be you know a lot of you know, a lot of room between what something is is you know argument about what something could potentially be worth. And I'm guessing you negotiate on a lot of different deals. Can you give give some some tips or suggestions for best negotiating strategies or things that have worked well for you? How do you negotiate well to get the best deals with with some of these buys? I'm honest. Because if you're not, they're going to see what you sold it for anyway. 
<laughs> it's the internet, <laughs> you know? So thankfully to, I think, reality television where people are, people understand that you need to make money, that you're in business and you're at overhead and you have overhead. So, and also, you know, I have this gigantic database and if you go to my site and search, if you just browse, you won't see out of stock items, but if you search, out of stock items will be at the very bottom of the search results. So you can go through and see stuff that we've sold and get a reference point for what things are worth. The vast majority of stuff we buy, we've had before. There are some times that you get something you've never had before and you have no idea what the real market value will be as far as a similar reference point for something that's sold in the past. Those happen, they're rare, but that's why we are experts in our field, I guess, for lack of a better word, to give it a value. But typically I say, look, I'm going to sell this item for $1,000. I will give you $450 and a prepaid shipping label because I need to make the 500 or it's not worth it to me. And some people will say, oh, you're greedy. I'm not doing it. And that's fine. But I'm being honest. I need the $500 because it's not worth it to me to do all the research, to get it here, to have it professionally photographed, edited, to have it go through three, three processes before it hits the site. then. Even though that $1,000 is my retail price, we offer free shipping, we offer some discount coupons, so I may only net $350 or $400, and when I only have 60 items, I need that money, or I'm not in business. And people take it or leave it, but when they see the thing go on and it was the right price, they come back and sell me something else. Because usually, once in a while, it's a one-time deal, I, you know, my grandpa left me this, but a lot of times... Okay, grandpa left you this, you know, sword and I just sold it, but actually I also have grandpa's helmet, his uniform and this and that. And I was just kind of testing to see what kind of person you are. So, I just try to be honest. I let people know the money I need to make and that's what I do. You know, we live in a, a pretty interesting time with Amazon and the ultimate frenemy for for sellers and you know, on the Amazon platform having a unique product is just absolutely paramount for for seeing any kind of success. You guys are selling on Amazon, and, I, and I, I believe you don't sell your firearms there, even if they're, you know, if they've been kind of uh, decommissioned. And I don't believe, I think I'm, I'm probably selling. I'm guessing selling a lot of replicas versus the one-offs, because I'm guessing you don't want to spin up a <laughs> spin up an Amazon listing for every single, you know, one-off item. How how has Amazon been for your business? I mean, one of the big benefits you guys have is is being so unique and, and being so niche. I'm curious to hear your, your experience with Amazon, if, if, if you guys have been happy with it, if you've seen it get more difficult, or if you'd still have been smooth sailing all the way through 2018. So we actually started selling on Amazon in 2009. And we, you're correct. There are a lot of items that we have. About half of our items we don't list on Amazon because they violate their acceptable use policy. Antique firearms, firearms that don't work, they don't want any type of thing that looks like an explosive or a grenade or whatever, they don't want, and that's totally fine. So we wind up listing basically leather goods and cloth goods and, and helmets. Amazon has always been a really good channel for us. It accounts for almost 40% of our volume, but only about 10% of our revenue. It has, it's, I would say we peaked about three years ago and since that time, it's been very solid for us, but it's plateaued. And mostly that's because we got all the inventory up that we wanted to do. And we do continue to develop new replica products, but only maybe two dozen a year. And those don't necessarily move the needle. 
So, so Alex, sorry to interrupt, but when you say it makes up 40% of our volume, but 10% of our revenue, for, so is that 40% of like, if you looked at shipments or SKUs that were moved, maybe you sell 40% of those through Amazon, but because maybe they're, they're lower price point items, it only makes up 10% of the revenue. Am I thinking of that right? That's exactly right. So to put it in perspective, 40% of our SKU volume goes through Amazon, but it's only 10% of revenue because the Amazon order, our average Amazon order value is about $40. Our average order value on our website is 310. So that's the difference. And you think through, you know, so many people want to build, and I, I am super guilty of this. I have I have a very system-oriented mindset, so, you know, so much to the point that a lot of times we'll get something brand new off the ground. I'll build out a whole system for it, spend three weeks, and then only to realize we're not, you know, we're going to abandon it a week later. And I've wasted all this time. I've done it so many times; it's embarrassing. And so many people want to build up a scalable business, build up something they can create, send over to China. You know, obviously, it needs to be defensible some way, but you know, defensible and that they can scale up at the same time. The hard part, but also the beauty of your business. Is that it's not scalable? You know the reason why your guys' emails are so I'm guessing are so well engaged with and get such phenomenal results is because you put in a lot of the hard work. You're really sourcing original things. How how much of the time, you know, having done this for 15 years, how much of the time do you get in the back of your mind? Are you thinking I I love this model, especially when just the the online world is getting so much more competitive and so many more me too people we're, we're in such a great place, versus how much of the time do you think? Oh my goodness, this is so much work <laughs> selling one off items. It's a very, very long winded way of saying, is it worth it to be, you know, to do, to sell so many one off items? Uh, is it worth it for the business? Is it worth it for the margin? Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it because we get a lot of residual sales of things that aren't one offs. So we may list 61 of a kind items a week, but we have so much inventory that we have stock of, be it replica or or original surplus items. Also, you have to remember that it might be one of a kind, and it say it's a Hungarian World War I helmet. And it may be one of a kind because it's that particular pink color, and it has that much wear on it, and it's got a guy's name in the back. But two weeks later, we may have an almost identical one with a different name and a slightly different pink color. And we can basically reuse the entire description. We have to do new photos, but then it's done. And we just tweak a couple of details. So there's a lot of stuff like that. So while we it is one of a kind, we are able to shortcut a lot many times. Look, the downside of this business is that we carry a massive amount of inventory. I have a 50,000 square foot warehouse and it is full. It's completely full. I'm always struggling for space. Oh, that's amazing. Talk about, if you would, your team, you know, you, you have, you know, one of the most, your, your important supply channels is people offering to buy things. And so you need to have people who, who understand what things are worth. You, you spend a lot of time writing great product descriptions. These aren't the kind that you can just go to Wikipedia and copy, you know, uh, these are, you know, you need to know about these products. Do you hire exclusively people either with military background or extensive historical knowledge on your service and marketing side? Or I, I, I just it seems like it'd be so difficult to try to train these people up. How do you pick people that work well because you know knowledge of this niche is so crucial? When we hire people, we look just for smart people who are motivated, who are interested in what we sell. 
I, when I came into the business, didn't really know much about the inventory, even though I'd grown up with it and I'd watched all the old war movies and I was interested in history. It didn't mean that I could tell you like, oh, that's the buttstock from an 1873 model Winchester. I can do that now, but I couldn't then. And so we sort of have a hybrid. We have four veterans on staff. We have a staff of 15. For customer service, I have three people, two of which have no military background, one of which is only here a year, and she had no idea what she was doing. But, you know, for the technical stuff, really deep technical stuff, usually it goes to one of four of us. My father, me, another guy who's been with me for 13 years, he was my first hire, or another guy in the back who was just into it because he was in the military. But typically, technical questions come through email. Once in a while, you got you get the guy who calls who really wants to gab. And if it's a sales call, so if it's something, you know, a guy, there's a, you know, Alex, there's a guy on the phone for a $25,000 Revolutionary War Brown Best Musket, I'm going to pick up the phone. If it's a $50, you know, replacement spring for some something, typically, you know, we'll get to it by email. But mostly what I look for when I hire people are people who are interested in learning because there's nobody I'm going to hire that's going to come in here and know enough to do any job, basically. Because even the people that we hire in the shipping department, all of a sudden they're packing things that are, you know, a letter, literally a letter from World War One, which is, you know, weighs nothing and, you know, but still needs to be preserved in the right way because it can't be folded to a bronze cannon that's going to go LTL that's, you know, 2,000 pounds and that costs $100,000. Or like that Revolutionary War Brown Best Musket, we had a whole session on this because one got broken. And it's, you know, I, our hearts broke. It was insured and it wasn't our fault, but it got broken. And I was like, we have to make sure that the stuff we pack, especially if it's a value, it's not replaceable. So I want to be able to go up onto a 50 foot roof and throw the thing off on the concrete and not have it break. How do we do it? So we came up with a whole system of how we pack things like that with reinforcement wood boards and, you know, masses amounts of bubble wrap and foam. And, you know, we'd, so everyone here is on a learning curve. And I'm, I'm really happy to say, you know, I, I have a company of 15. It's been always really important for me that people can stay here for a long time and and that we treat them properly. So we offer full health insurance. We offer full benefits. We don't have to. I'm not the size company where I need to do that. Many of, of, of the 15 people, I think eight, nine of them have been here over 10 years. It's been, it's nice. I mean, it's, it is a much more of a family atmosphere. And now we're getting younger people too, which is cool because it has predominantly been dominated by, and as is the industry, I think older people as our, you know, customer bases too skews a bit older. Alex has been, been fascinating. I kind of diving in, let me totally nose around in your business model. It's so cool. Especially the, the email stuff is just phenomenal. I think it's a really cool model for, for people doing email. I'd love to, if you're open for it, do a quick lightning round before we wrap things up. Just feel free to give me, you know, fast punchy answers. We got, you know, about eight of these to go through, but if that sounds good to you, uh, I'll dive in. Sure. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, 
running a business out of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? What are you currently spending too much money running on? a business in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> if you could be president of the United States without having to campaign for the role, you know, you just get inserted there, but you have all of the duties, responsibilities, and stresses of of that position. Would you want the job for four no. years? No, gave Obama gray hair and two. Who's your favorite military leader in history? I would say, not necessarily military leader, but I would say Abraham Lincoln. And I say that because he took power and within a month, I think, the Civil War broke out. The Emancipation Proclamation came out in 1863 in the height of it. The guy was a visionary and maybe the bravest American that ever lived. Uh, and maybe it's a tricky one, but what's your favorite war movie that you've seen? Banner Brothers. It's a miniseries, but Band of Brothers, it, I can watch that thing on repeat. And what about the most interesting place you've ever been to source products for IMA? Nepal. And then finally, what's the proudest non-business and non-family thing that you've done or accomplished? Going to baseball camp for, for a little miniseries called Bronx is Burning. That was on ESPN in 2006. Uh, I got to play third baseman Greg Metals, and I got to do two weeks of baseball camp, and I like learned how to play pro baseball. I wasn't that good, but man, it was fun. That's how did that come about? That sounds cool. That's just be, you know I have I have an MFA in acting, and I've worked professionally. I've done about thirty something national network television shows in the last fifteen years. I got cast, and it, you know I was a regular on the series. It wasn't a massive role. But they chose six guys who are on the Yankees. It's about the 1977 Yankees, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, and they won the World Series that year. And I played Greg Nettles, who was the third baseman. And they they thought, it didn't actually happen, they thought that they might need us to play a little baseball. So they brought us to basically a, like a fantasy camp for two weeks and, you know, taught us how to swing, how to throw, how to walk, how to, you know, and it was just really cool. And at the end, we had like, you know, kind of a, a home run derby and I hit a bunch of balls and I was like, I never, ever thought I could actually hit a ball that was thrown that hard. So you you've, you stood up, were they throwing at, you know, major league speed, like 85, 90 miles an hour? No, not, no, not quite. But they were still throwing hard. I mean, I didn't want to get hit by it. <laughs> That's so cool. I've, I've got a lot of... Uh... A lot of TV TV series and, and the shows to catch up on to check out your your roles here. What's the name of that role that that show or movie one more time? The that, baseball one. That was uh, the Bronx is burning with John Turturro and Oliver Platt. The Bronx is burning. Alex, well, so so fun talking to you about this here in the story of the business. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for being part of the community. It's been great having you in the last couple months, and and really appreciate you taking the time to to share all this with everyone listening. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Andrew. And I'm, I'm really happy to be part of the community. And it's been really helpful for me in the last couple of months. Great. Well, thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. If you're listening to this and you own your own e-commerce business, and chances are probably pretty good that you do if you've gotten this far through the episode, you need to check out our private community for store owners. It's a, a vetted group of over a thousand store owners and experienced professionals and the reason it's different is, is just like I mentioned, it's vetted. We go through and we require all new members have a seven-figure business. They actually have experience in the space. And we go through and we review all applications to make sure everyone's legit when they come in. And then once everyone gets inside, it's not a free-for-all. We, we moderate in ways where if people are being jerks or you know behaving inappropriately, we toss them out. If people come in and do nothing but ask questions, we toss them out. We really value 
experience. We value reciprocity. And it's a place where you're going to be able to connect with other store owners to learn what's working, but also make good friends. Like some of my best friends I have met through this community. And I know that others can say that as well. So if you're interested in learning more and applying for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And also, again, want to just say a big thank you to the two sponsors that make this show possible. First, to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. You can learn more about them and get started for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. And also to Liquid Web, who offers hands down the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store online with plans starting at just 39 bucks. So if you want to learn more about them and how they can supercharge your WooCommerce site, you can learn more at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, listening, really appreciate you and looking forward to catching you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.